listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. My name is Stacy Clark, if you don't know me, and I serve, uh, hold on, sorry. <laughs> Children's ministry, women's ministry, praise team, and wherever else I'm needed. Today I'll be reading 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all saw she almost turned and said, and I serve. And then it would have been my fault if she'd have said that I serve him. No, she don't. No, she don't. She helps me. Boy, I tell you, that's the, that's the best thing I got going in life today is that young lady right there. Thank you for being here today. Aren't you glad to be back? No water. No, we're not swimming in here today. You know, that's a That was an aggravation, but I appreciate everybody's flexibility. I've already heard as we went out and visited with others, I've already heard some great stories about fun that you had, and I hope that was the case, that you were able to get out and enjoy a time of worship with our brothers and sisters around when our place was uninhabitable for the day. Uh, We had a good time where we went. I'll tell you more about that. If you'll tell me your story, I'll tell you mine, and uh, and we would just thank God that we had a place to be uh, with brothers and sisters. We're studying the book of 2 Peter. By the way, visitors, if you're here, if this is your first time, you should have gotten a little card when you came in this morning. I hope that you will take just a minute to fill that out. And just as you're going out, if you'll choose to go out that door, then you can just drop that card on that box back there, wooden box. There's a, a gift that we'd like for you to pick up just to remind you that, uh, that you came and you were here. And hopefully, if this resonates with you today, what you see is pretty much what you get. Right, Bill? It's just no, no smoke and mirrors. There's no... Uh, trap doors anywhere. It just, we are what we are, and we hope that you'll come back and be with us, because we do it almost every week if we're not flooded. That's, uh, that's, I used to say we do it every week, but we didn't last week because of the water. But we're glad you're here. Second Peter, when I was young, there was a statement that was made to me in a certain circumstance, and uh, it had to do with a china cabinet in the, uh, in the kitchen. I was always curious about what was on the china cabinet on the top. And, you know, there was always goodies up there. You know, if it was where you can't get to it, and here I am about, you know, eight or nine years old, and I wasn't quite as tall as I am. So I always wondered what was up on top of the china cabinet. So one day, my mother had a, she had her, her, uh, she's a beautician. She had her shop there in the house. That was always a help to us. And uh, one day she was in there working, and, and I was left to my own Dennis the Menace ways, right? And so I decided to look up on top of the china cabinet to see what's on top. So I put my knee up on the, the, the vanity part, and I reached my hand up on top of the cabinet part. You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull myself up to see what's on top. But here's the thing. My mama and daddy, it's their fault because they failed to attach the cabinet part to the vent. Now, who in the world would put stuff like that and then not secure it? But at any rate, when I began to pull it, it began to come with me. And I can remember, I mean, it's vividly, and it's been 
decades since then. I can vividly remember that thing. You know how things do. They do it in slow motion, right? You know, it happens, and then time just slows down. And as that china cabinet began to tip over, I just remember squaring my feet and catching it. Boom. And, and for that millisecond that I was going, yes. And then in my peripheral, all of the doors went whoop, and everything went crash. And my mother heard as the stuff came out, and she came in to me in, you know, mid-deadlift, right? And she helped me get it back. And, and I remember the words that she said as she looked and saw all kinds of valuables and family heirlooms all in a pile of Humpty Dumpty, uh, you know, category. And she looked at me and she said, your father will deal with you when he gets home. It's earlier in the morning, you know. I mean, he would not get home sometimes after 6 p.m. Business, uh, you know, ran his own business, and, you know, he didn't work off a time clock. And so then I had all day to wait on Dad to get home. Now, I'll tell you that most often, Mom wouldn't wait till Dad got home. She'd just go in and handle me, and then he wouldn't have to worry about it. But on that day, I remember sitting in the chair waiting on dad to come home. And the one thing I knew for certain was dad was coming home and it was going to be Katie bar the door for me because I had done what I should not have done and broke a whole lot of stuff. Now, honestly, I'm, I'm being truthful. I don't recall the punishment as much as I do the dread of the punishment. So that's one thing I knew. When, when mom looked at me and said, your daddy will deal with you, I knew for certain things were going to happen later on that day. Now, there have been other times when I've heard those similar words when it did not strike the kind of anxiety in my heart. Some of y'all just breathe now. It's okay. I just, I just dredged up, you know, bad memories. So just take a deep breath. Okay. There have been times when I've heard those similar words not directed at me. Have been at a friend's house when, you know what boys do when they get together, they jump off things higher than they should. They climb on things that obviously they should not. They do things when they're together that they might not always do alone. I can remember many times being at my friend's houses and us being involved in some sort of tomfoolery and the mother saying, when your daddy gets home. And, and the cool thing was is that I felt the gravity, but not the anxiety because it wasn't my daddy. I knew I was being picked up at four. He doesn't get home till six. It's on you, bro. Sorry for you. <laughs> so there's a different, same words, same certainty, same reality, just from a different vantage point depending on whether they were speaking to you in direct point or if they were just speaking to you indirectly. And so when we come to what Peter deals with today in our passage, what he's doing is he's coming off of his introduction to the reality that for followers of Jesus who are, who are called to follow God's Word, who, who are called to understand that that God's Word is the source of truth. God's Word is the source of direction for one's life as a follower of Jesus. In fact, God's Word is the source of life for someone who's not yet following Jesus. If they're going to move from death to life, if they're going to be translated from darkness into light, if they're going to move from being an enemy of God to being born and adopted into his family, they're going to do it through God's Word. Because God's Word is the source of truth. It's not a source of truth. It is the source of truth. And in its entirety, there's nothing more true or less true in God's Word because we believe that God's Word is inspired and inerrant. It is God-breathed and it is without error 
from cover to cover. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not copying issues that we could talk on for a whole semester or more worth of, of classes, certainly through the transmission over years and through languages. There's all kinds of things that we can find as far as the translation. But as far as its content is concerned, it's God's Word. And it's unchanging, and it's living, and it's forever. And so Peter, as a a, a last will and testament, if you will. It seems that Peter knows that his life is soon coming to an end. The, the, the Caesar at the time, Nero, was making great sport of Christians, and he just knew that his time was coming soon. And so he says, as I know my life is about to come to an end, I want you to remember these things. And remember, God's Word is the source of truth. And then also remember chapter number 2, verse 1 through 3, he says... And just like there were in ancient Israel false prophets that rose up and began to speak things that were supposedly from God, but were not of God, in that same way, false teachers are going to rise up among you. And these false teachers will teach things that are simply not true because they're not defendable by God's Word. And you've got to be aware of them. And they're going to lead you into lifestyles that are contrary to the teaching of God's Word. And they're going to tip their hand and show you their false teaching by their own lifestyle and by their own greed. So pay attention and don't you fret because their judgment is coming. And then he picks up in verse number 4 talking about the certainty of God's judgment. There's a song that we sing here. Uh, I forget who it is. that It, it, it might have been North Point that is the, the, the author, the originator of the song. But it's called Do It Again. And that song, Do It Again, is a, a reminder that, you know, God has done great things for his people. And I know he'll do it again. Well, Peter's going to come at this idea of judgment on false teachers from that same vantage point of God's judged the wicked before, and he'll do it again. Don't you worry about what's happening around you and, and your inability to stop it no matter how hard you try. Don't you worry. God has judged the wicked in the past and he'll do it again. So we're going to look at these examples, and then we're going to bring this into our time and, and consider how we walk away from what Peter reminds us as, as a, a matter of last things that he's going to say. He's going to say, remember, there are false teachers, and God's judgment on them is coming. He gives us three historical reminders in these first few verses. Verse number four, five, six, seven, and eight, we have three biblical historical events or happenings that, that transpired. And they're all God's judgment, and they're most found in the book of Genesis. Let's look at these in verse number four. Peter says, let me give you an example. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. And then he stops because that's the first example. And he's going to give these if examples. And, and when he says if, then if you're, if you're at all familiar with our English grammar and, and syntax, you know that if statements normally are followed by then statements. If this, then that. And he's going to do this. He's going to have three ifs followed by a then. Now, from a little bit of study of the Greek language that I did not retain much of, I'm just going to be honest with you. We went through it so fast and my brain is so small that I heard it and I remember it and I passed the test, but now I rely on the books to remind me what I forgot that I knew. But what I'm, what I'm understanding is, is that this if-then is a particular, uh, a, a particular way of, of writing and putting this into the grammar 
that you can actually take this word if and say it since. Because we're not talking about a hypothetical. Peter's talking about an actual historical fact. Since God did this, we know that he will do that. So be thinking about that as he gives us these first examples. Now, this first one's it's really aggravating. And, and it's one that, that some will want to spend a whole lot of time talking about because it has to do with angels who sinned and are in chains and darkness. And where did that come from? And oh my goodness, let's talk about it. This passage, this little verse right here has so much mystery in it that I'm not going to be able to explain to your satisfaction just exactly who these angels are and why they're where they are and exactly where they are to your satisfaction. But here's what we do know. This verse is in God's Word. We know that there were angels who sinned and fell under God's judgment and were placed in a place translated as hell waiting for a future judgment. We know that's true. We could move on, but I'll tell you what I think this is. I think that this is a reference to Genesis chapter number 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, we're not going to turn there. This, this is in your notes. If you've got the, the Oasis Church app, then you're probably following along with the notes right now. If not, don't worry about that right now. You might want to just jot this down. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 1 through 8. What you're going to find there as Moses, the author of Genesis, is building the argument of how sin that, that might have started out seemingly small in the Garden of Eden, where man and woman took the fruit that was forbidden and ate of it, you would say, well, that's a very small thing. Well, no, it was actually a very large thing because the result of that original sin is that all of God's creation is corrupted, including yourself and myself. We are all affected by that one sin that spread. And we see it spreading in Genesis. It spread from the garden to then, uh, th then to the, the, the blame game between Adam and his wife over whose fault it was. We hear God's judgment on them to come. And then we see Adam and Eve have a couple of boys who one got a little jealous of the other and ended up murdering him. I mean, we see sin just mushrooming out of the garden. And then the next thing you know, you find yourself in chapter number 6 and you're hearing that wickedness covered the entire earth. Everything that human beings were doing and thinking was constantly wicked. And one of the things that Moses tells us is, is that there were these, quote unquote, sons of God who saw the daughters of men and cohabitated with them and had children of which came a race of people called the Nephilim. That's Genesis 6, 1 through 8. You're like, what are you talking about? I know, I know, it's confusing because there's not, you know, we don't have God saying, oh, by the way, this is what I mean. It seems as though these sons of God were angelic beings and the theory from, from ancient times is that these angels, these demonic fallen angels, inhabited men and had children with women that ultimately were influenced by this demonic oppression. I don't know that they were possessed, but they were certainly oppressed. So the idea from ancient times, and, and you can actually find it in non-biblical literature, the book of 1st Enoch, which would have been very familiar to Peter's readers, but not biblical canon, had a more fleshed out understanding of this story of how these people came about. I told you weren't going to be satisfied with that explanation because you want me to tell you how you can find it. Look, you can find, go find that out. Look, Google Nephilim and then don't believe nothing you find on Google. But it's out there and I'll point you to some good resources and, and maybe that will help your curiosity, but I promise you, you won't be satisfied. Bottom line is, Peter says, look, we're familiar that when the angelic beings 
took it upon themselves to indulge in this heinous kind of wickedness, God did not hold back and judged them. Peter says he put them in a place called hell. Now, if you translate that word hell back into the Greek, you're going to find that it is the word Tartarus. Now, the three words used or translated hell in the New Testament. There is Gehenna, which is the, 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 the valley of Hinnom, was the garbage dump of the city of Jerusalem that they constantly burned things, trash, and, and even bodies of criminals that were just thrown. It was a nasty place. It was a place that was always on fire. It was really gross, and it was often referred to as hell. And then there's another word that's used in the New Testament uh, a, a couple of times, and that is Hades, which is the Greek idea of the underworld, the place of death. And, and there are times when, when the future uh, destruction of the wicked has been referred to as that Greek place, Hades. But there was another Greek place. It was kind of like the the hole. You know, if you're in prison and you get thrown in the hole, that means you're in isolation, you're in solitary, you're not getting out of there. Well, that place was called Tartarus. And in Greek mythology, the idea of Tartarus was the place underneath Hades, where the most wicked would dwell. Well, now, Pastor Kevin, are you saying that Christianity is the same as Greek mythology? No, I'm not. But did you hear me just a little while ago refer to Humpty Dumpty's tragedy? Well, Humpty Dumpty is not biblical, but it gave you a pretty good idea of what was happening to the stuff that fell out of the cabinet. Am I right or wrong? So, the same would be for the biblical writers as well, pulling ideas from the cultural or, or the circumstantial environment to help them understand realities but aren't necessarily that tightly connected. So we don't know that, that where these angels are is up under hell. We don't know that the place of, of destruction for the wicked is a place in the center of the earth. No, no, we don't know all of that. But we do know it's a place that we don't want to be. We do know it's a place that God did not design for us. But we do know it's a bad place. And Peter says, we all know that God did not hold back His judgment on those angels. He put them in holding. And they know good and well that when time comes, they will be judged for their wickedness. In Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, we're also not going to read that. Peter said <clears throat> that, that Christ was crucified and then went into the lower parts of the earth and proclaimed salvation, shouted redemption. Is it possible that those are the ears of those who heard the message? Hey, by the way, I've defeated it all just like we said we would. I wonder if that's who that's hearing. But at any rate... Peter's example is false teachers, oh, their judgment's coming. And, and just like God judged those angels, hold that in place, verse number five. And if or since he did not spare the whole ancient world, oh, I know where we're going now, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by, uh, let me back up, I'm about to jump ahead of myself. If, if God, or since God didn't hold back on the angels, and since God didn't hold back on the whole world, if you keep reading Genesis chapter 6, you're going to find that all this wickedness that had involved these sons of God and these daughters of women, and then the whole world's just eat up. God says, I'm sorry I ever even made man. I'm sorry I ever even created them. I'm going to destroy all that I've created. But then it comes a phrase, but Noah found favor with God. If, if you 
grew up with the King James, you'll know that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We see Peter going, you remember how God didn't hold back on the angels? You remember how God didn't hold back on the entire world? I mean, he wiped it out. But he preserved Noah. Who are the seven others? Well, Noah's wife and his three sons and their wives came into the big boat that we call the ark, along with two of every kind of animal that, that, that was selected by God. They came on the ark and they spent over a year in that boat as God destroyed creation. Man, woman, child, beast, bird, only the fish were immune from this flood and those inside the ark. Peter says, since God did not destroy the earth, but preserved the one who found favor. And Genesis talks about Noah being righteous. Does that mean that Noah was without sin? Of course not. Noah was as corrupted by sin as anyone else. But what Noah was doing was turning toward God. He was positioning himself in submission to God, and God sees this and extended grace to him and saved him and those with him. Since God didn't hold back on the angels, since God didn't hold back on the whole world, but rescued this one. And since, verse number 6, if or since by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the world, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Since he didn't hold back on the angels, since he didn't hold back on the whole wicked world, and since he destroyed the exemplary cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, not examples of their greatness, not examples of their faithfulness, but examples of their wanton depravity. When Sodom and Gomorrah is, is referenced in the Scripture, it's always a reminder of what happens when sin is just left unhinged. It's unbridled and let run in its own direction. And what did God do? God sent judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah as a reminder that when you take God's Word and you pervert it, when you ignore it, when you take it in a direction that is clearly contrary to God's design, you will become so engulfed in wickedness that it's all you know to do. Do you recall what happened in Genesis 19? When, when the angel of the Lord came and visited Abraham and said, by the way, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. Or at least he says, I'm going to go find out just how wicked it is. And as he's going, Abraham prayed and said, Lord, if, if there's just 50 there, if there's just 50 that are righteous, will you save it? God says, yes, I'll save it. Abraham thought for a minute, thought, I, I bet there are not 50 folks there are righteous. There's 40, 30, 20, 10. Lord, if there's 10 people righteous, Will you save the city? God says, yes, I will. And, and the cities were destroyed. Why? Because there weren't 10 righteous. In fact, when those representing the Lord got to the city and came into the city square, what, what, what was the desire of the city? They came to try to take them by force so that they could go and rape these men. That's what the city wanted to do with them. But what did Lot do? Took them into his home and closed the door, and as the city began to beat on Lot's door, Lot offered them his daughter instead of the men. Now, 
what I'm hoping that tells you is, hold on a minute. I thought Peter said Lot was righteous. Peter didn't say Lot wasn't a scoundrel. He's not talking about Lot's deeds here. But he is talking about whose Lot was. Lot was a moron. Lot was a fool. Lot was somebody who ought not have been in Sodom in the first place. But when given the opportunity to choose the nice land over the rocky land, he said, well, thank you, Uncle Abraham. I'll take the easy road. And it ended up leading him into a place he had no business being in. But the same was true about Lot that was true about Abraham. He believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. But Lot was an idiot. But Peter's saying, when God came to destroy the cities of Sodom, he made an example of his position on wickedness. But even Lot was saved from that destruction. God knew how to rescue even that one bozo that was his. How to rescue him from the judgment that was coming. God didn't just throw a grenade over into Sodom and Gomorrah and let happen what happened. No. God knew exactly what he was doing. He had a calculated judgment on those angels. He had a calculated judgment on the world. He had a calculated judgment on the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he had a calculated rescue of those that were his. He says Lot was tormented his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Don't think for one second that what we get exposed to is not tearing down our righteous soul, even if we know Jesus as our Savior. It has an effect on us, the world that we live in. Peter says false teachers are going to rise up, and they're going to pervert God's Word. They're going to tell you things are okay that are not okay. They're going to embrace things that the culture is embracing. They're going to fall victim to, if you don't say this is okay, then you don't love me. And these people are going to follow these false teachers and go, well, we better say it's okay because we don't want anybody to be mad at us. And they're going to follow these false teachings and they're going to end up in error, apostatized from these truths that you hold as right. I need to tell you, God's judgment is coming. Since it came on them, since it came on all, and since it came very specifically there, since God did all these things, verse number 9, then He'll do it again. He said He's going to do it again. He's promised He's going to bring this thing to a conclusion. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about this day of the Lord that's been prophesied and promised over and over again. Just as certain and much, much more than your daddy will deal with you when he gets home. Our righteous, holy, and just God will judge wickedness and rebellion. He will do it. He did it before. He'll do it again. Just like he does then the Lord. And, and here's where Peter flips it upside down. He, he's got us thinking about the judgment to come with a little bit of a reminder about those that were rescued in the past. And now he flips it upside down as an as a emphasis on those readers who are reading like, okay, God's judgment coming. Peter's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're following Jesus, if you know Christ as Savior, if, if you're one of His, then don't forget the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. And remember, when he says godly, he's not talking about how godly we live. Because I don't want to ask you, you raise your hand if you acted more wickedly than godly this week. 
Because then I'd be asking you to lie right here if you didn't put your hand up. Because you know good and well our flesh and the sin that indwells us is still very powerful. And if given an opportunity, it will come out. Let me confess mine from this week. Went to get my oil changed in my truck. It's a long story, but I had one more oil change free because it was a two-year thing. I had one more that was coming to me. And the young man standing at the gate, or standing at the desk, said I didn't have one. But I did have one. He said, no, you don't have one. I said, but I do have one. I know that I do. I remember when I signed that piece of paper, and he told me I had two years, and it's not there yet. And I remember the last time that I came and, 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 I, and I, I, I was told by the guy standing next to you that I had one more. I remember him telling me that. And, and I know I'm here for the next one. One more. He says, no, you don't. You don't have one more. You're going to pay for this one. I'm not paying for this one. I, I can assure you I'm not paying for this one. And, and, and you know what came out? You, you know what came out of me? Now, I didn't say ugly words. You know, I, I, I did not throw things or slide things off of that. I didn't do any of that. But my attitude with that fella over a stupid oil change made it where when I got back in the truck, oh, by the way, they covered the oil change, by the way. Now, they might have spit in that container that they might have, no telling what's in my engine right now, but they covered it. As I went and got in the truck, turned it on, I thought, well, no, I didn't think. I think it was God that said, did you go back in there and tell him about me? I went, well, I don't know that he's going to want to hear what I have to say about you. <clears throat> he might argue I don't know you. I think that was the point. Oh, you, you, God, don't, he's not speak out loud to me. But the, the feelings that I had within my heart were, oh, good job, big boy. Got that free oil change, didn't you? Now, now, now how much effect are you going to be able to have? When you see those guys over the next week, any of them, they're going to remember, had bright red shirt on. Now, I'm not a small person, you know, and they're going to remember you. And, 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 and think about how much impact you're going to be able to have in their life for my glory. And I went, yeah, it's sin. See, so, so you know what I get to do next week? I, I get to go back over to uh, the Ford dealership and apologize to at least three folks. Um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. But what it reminds me is, is that when it says he knows how to rescue the godly, he, he ain't talking about the ones who act godly. Because more often than not, I, I don't do that. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about those who have gone through the narrow door. Those who have, who have taken the, the difficult way of faith alone in Jesus alone. Not on any acts of mine. Not on any earning or purchasing or anything I can do. No amount of how much Bible I read or how many times I've gone to church. No matter, no matter how much water I've been pushed down and raised up in. None of that has anything to do with whether I'm godly or not. The only thing that matters is if whether I have trusted in Jesus, crucified in my place for my sin, raised victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if my faith is in Him and Him alone, then I have righteousness that is not mine. It is imputed, it is given to me by the Savior. Now, he still wants me to act godly. I refer us all back to 1 Peter chapter 1, where he calls us to live out those things that we've been given. And I didn't do it this week. So I've got to go back and eat humble pie for God's glory, and that's okay. It's worth it. But when he says, God know, if God knew how to rescue Noah and his crowd, if God knew how to rescue righteous Lot... If he knew how to keep them from judgment, this that is coming, oh, he'll know how to rescue you too. If you're a follower of Jesus, God knows how to rescue us from trials. Probably a better translation is temptations. He knows how to rescue us from the onslaught that we're living in of the wickedness that's around us. He knows how to rescue us from what's coming, and He knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment 
until the day of judgment. Peter says, there are those out there saying, God's not going to judge. And I'm here to tell you, if he did it then, since he did it then, he'll do it again. Because he said he's going to. And you'd do well not to follow those lies that says he's not. But you'd also do well to remember that if you're his child, he knows how to rescue you when it really gets tough. When his wrath is poured out. Now, he's not saying that he's going to keep us and shelter us from danger. All kind of folks have died in the faith. All kind of folks have suffered for their faith. But we don't fall under the righteous hand of Almighty God. You know why? Because to us, He's Abba. He's our Abba. He's your judge. I'm staying out of y'all's way. I'm going to be with my Abba. But He's coming, and He knows who's who. He's bringing that day of judgment, especially on those, look at this, verse 10, who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and who despise authority. Those who have rejected Christ, those who are not following Christ and have put the pedal to the metal on their sin. You look at it and you go, how, how in the world does God let this go? Look, God knows what's happening. God knows what's going on. And right this moment, you know what? He dearly loves all of those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. And he dearly loves those who despise authority. And he will, on their surrender, on their confession, he'll bring them right into the family just like he brought you. But if we face him as judge, we'll experience him as judge. And that's something we need to remember. There's a lot of folks today that are saying, that's not true. That's just, that's an old book. It's a picture of things. It's not to be taken literally. Well, he said it once. He did it once. And he said some things that he's not yet done. We had better understand that there is a warning to unbelievers, to false teachers, to those who follow them. And that is God's future divine judgment is absolutely certainly. And we need to also hear this message of hope for followers of Jesus. As He's rescued the godly before, He'll rescue us again. We, we think He's talking about, Pastor Kevin, well... I personally think when he's talking about rescuing us from that wrath, rescuing us from that judgment, I personally think he's talking about the tribulation period that will come at the second coming or following uh, that second coming just before. Anyway, rapture is what I think he's talking about. Look at Revelation chapter number 3. Look what, look what Jesus says through the Apostle John. He says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. He's talking to believers here. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. That word trial that's there in Revelation 3.13 is the same word for trial that we find in 2 Peter 2.9. I'm going to keep you, those of you who have heard and kept my word, from that trial. If we look to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 10, it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, talking to believers, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What is that wrath? It's this judgment that he's talking about. Not saying that he's going to deliver us from trial, tribulation, difficulty, suffering, persecution. But he's going to deliver us from his judgment to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 9. I know 
unless I'm flipping them, you, you know what it is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Seems as though Paul is saying God's not destined us to be the recipients of his divine wrath, but to experience salvation. And I love what 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 says. I read it by every graveside that I'm ever asked to, to come and help a family with. It's one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite reminders about, about how the graveyard for believers will turn into one spectacular place on that day when it says, then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up, snatched away. You take that back to the Greek, the word me, or word says rapturo. You say, the rapture is not in the Bible. I know, it's just not in the English Bible. It's in the Greek New Testament. Rapturo, snatched away, caught up. Then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Pastor Kevin, what do you think? I think he's talking about being snatched away just before God's wrath is poured out on the wicked. That's what I think. So, well, I don't believe in the rapture. Well, that's okay. I love you anyway. But the bottom line is, whenever that judgment comes, and it is, God knows who's to receive it and who's not. So what can we do knowing this? How can we respond knowing these truths? Well, first of all, as believers, if you are a follower of Jesus, and I hope you are. I hope you've trusted Christ and Him alone. But knowing all of this... Believers must never delight in the future demise of God's enemies. We see them all around us. They're in the media and they're in places of power and position. We've got to be really, really cautious that we don't allow ourselves as followers of Jesus to gloat in the future destruction of another. Because all of those are people that God dearly loves and folks for whom Jesus willingly died. Let's not take an attitude different than His. But knowing this, number two, believers must remain faithful heralds. What was Noah? He was a herald of righteousness, communicating God's judgment was to come and nobody listened and they were destroyed. As believers, knowing that God's judgment is certain, believers must remain faithful heralds of the gospel of righteousness that can be received only by faith. When was the last time we told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time that we, we told somebody how much God loves them? And, and how, how, how willing Jesus was to die in their place. And how he rose from the dead victorious. We need to be telling people with our words and with our actions. Knowing this, believers must not expect God to shield us from the wickedness surrounding us. Or the suffering that's required of us. But we can expect him to lead us all the way until Christ returns. What was it that Peter was saying? Look, I'm going to be gone for long. Listen, these false teachers, they're going to come, mark them, recognize them, identify them, and then reject their teaching. Because what they're teaching is lies, and it's lies that are going to lead others into judgment. And that judgment that's coming on the wicked, even these, as sure as it came before, it's coming again. But you don't have to be the recipient of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, stay confident in His protection, stay confident in His presence, and stay active in His mission because there are so many who still need to hear. I don't know what God's Word has spoken to you today, but I hope if your feeling is, oh man, I'm afraid I might be one of those under judgment that you would hear this loud and clear. You don't have to be. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He's alive today to save you. 
if you'll just surrender to him and him alone. And then Christian, we got work to do. When's this judgment coming? No idea. No idea. But it's coming. And we got to be busy. We got to be faithful. Let's encourage one another in that direction every opportunity we have. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. It's a hard word. We don't, we don't like the idea of your judgment. But you can't be holy, righteous, and just without being true to your word. These are things that you have said and you will do. But at the very same time, God, you have revealed yourself to be also loving. You've, you've revealed yourself to be merciful. You've shown yourself to be gracious. We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, our Savior, our King returning. We thank you that you're our Father and that we are joint heirs together with him if we know him by faith. I pray that you will draw men and women to yourself. Give us the courage to share the good news with them. Father, I pray if anybody's here today, apart from a relationship with you, that that might change before they leave from here. God, we thank you for the chance we have to worship in this place. Thank you for the cleanup that has happened. Thank you for the opportunity we have. Give us the courage now to go put it to work. We love you. We thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.